You're listening to Off the Clock Sports. Off the Clock Sports. The weekly show where you'll hear the best insights on all the latest in sports. Here's your host, Brandon Cook. Brandon Cook. Well, NFL Week 1 was exciting, I'd say. Isn't it awesome to have football back? I feel like when the offseason's going on in the NFL, that there's something missing in my life. You know, like, I have a lot of close friends. I obviously have a girlfriend. You know, I have a lot of things going on in my life. But whenever it's the football offseason, as much of a baseball fan as I am, and I love hockey and basketball, my life feels a little incomplete without football on Sundays. I just feel lost on a Sunday afternoon. Like I love watching the Jays and obviously I love the other sports, but like when it's Sunday afternoon, there's nothing better than cracking a cold one with the boys, having some nachos, having some pizza and sitting down and putting your feet up and just watching the NFL. And my life on Sunday, Thursday, Sunday and Monday night just felt so complete again. And I'm so thrilled to have football back. Now I want to look back at week one of the NFL and let's start in order with Thursday night football. Thursday Night Football was so exciting. And I know the game was fairly one-sided for the most part, but just when that football kicked off on Thursday after the LA Rams unveiled their Super Bowl banner and they kicked off the 2022 season, the excitement going through SoFi Stadium and the excitement going through our televisions on that broadcast watching the Rams and Bills, a potential Super Bowl matchup this year going on in Los Angeles, it was just phenomenal to have football back. And the one thing I took away, two things I took away from that game were one, the Rams have a Super Bowl hangover and need to get it together quick. Jalen Ramsey did not have a good game. Matthew Stafford was way off and the offense couldn't generate anything and they have to take better care of the football. And I think Sean McVay will have them ready week two. But the other thing I took away from this game is the Buffalo Bills are real. The Buffalo Bills are pissed off at their last two playoff appearances with back-to-back losses in the playoffs to the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. And the Bills are motivated to be one of the best teams, and Josh Allen's going to be a legitimate MVP candidate this year. He's going to be one of the three or four finalists for the most valuable player of the year at the end of the season. And the Bills come into SoFi and take down the defending champions. Sean McDermott and Josh Allen get the Bills off on the right foot. They start the season 1-0, and they are looking like they're a dominant force in the AFC and in the NFL, and they're going to be one of the four or five best teams, and they're going to be one of the four or five teams remaining in January with a trip to the Super Bowl in Phoenix, Arizona on the line. What I saw from Josh Allen is a couple poor decisions. He obviously threw two interceptions. Obviously, the Bills had some mistakes, but for a week one performance, they looked very elite. They look like they're going to be a dominant force to be wrecking with. And Josh Allen, along with Stephon Diggs in that offense, and the Buffalo Bills played solid on the defensive side on the football. And Sean McDermott for a week one performance looked like he had that team very prepared and he looks like he's going to have that team in a position to beat anyone in their way. And this looks like a 12 to 13 win football team to me. I think at the very worst, the floor for the Buffalo Bills is 12 and five. I think their ceiling's about 13 and four. So somewhere in the season, I know that's a very tight window, but somewhere in the season, either 12-5 and five or 13-4, and four, they're probably going to lose or win a game that they should or shouldn't. 
And the Bills look so good, and they look so ready. And Josh Allen just looks like he just took off where he left off in January after that bizarre game in Kansas City in the playoffs. A couple of storylines I'd like to talk about. This has been talked about on previous podcasts with me, whether it was Braden or whether I had Troy on, whatever the case may be. But one thing I noticed on Sunday is there's a reason that the San Francisco 49ers have not traded Jimmy Garoppolo yet. There's a reason that Kyle Shanahan decided, let's restructure his contract. He's a free agent at the end of the year, but I can't part ways with this guy just quite yet. And I understand the weather conditions in Chicago were less than ideal. That was a pretty big storm on Sunday in Chicago. The field was very wet. The field conditions were not ideal. The weather was not ideal. Temperature's not ideal. I get that, but you got to adjust. You have to adjust to the weather conditions. Kyle Shanahan's in charge of altering his game plan. He's in charge of altering the things they do, the preparation they do in warm-up, the preparation they do the night before. Trey Lance needs to be ready for that football game. And I see a young quarterback who has talent, who has potential, but he needs to tap into that real soon. I understand Trey Lance has very limited NFL experience. I understand he missed a year of college. I understand all these things. But there's clearly a reason Kyle Shanahan said we need to hang on to Jimmy and they didn't make a move in the offseason. is because they feel like there's a chance they might need to go back to this guy at some point. They feel like with Jimmy Garoppolo, they might need to make a decision in three or four weeks' time. I know they keep saying Trey Lance is the guy. It's Trey's football team. We're going with Trey Lance. They told Jimmy that in the offseason. But you don't keep your former starting quarterback that took you to a Super Bowl, that took you to a conference championship, that has taken you to the playoffs, that has won a lot of football games and had a lot of success in this system and in this organization. If you don't think there's a scenario in the back of your mind where we got to use this guy... And if our jobs are on the line or if we're in a pinch or we find ourselves in a situation and our lives depend on it, that this is the guy that's going to help get me out of that situation. Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch know that the San Francisco 49ers as currently constructed with the core players that they have with George Kittle and Devo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk on offense, they know that they can have success. They know that they can win football games. They know they can go on a deep playoff run. And you don't keep that guy in the building, in the system, in the organization if you don't think there's a plan that you possibly have to go to him. If the San Francisco 49ers this Sunday, if they go on and play the Seattle Seahawks at home and the Seahawks after just knocking off a potential Super Bowl contender in Denver and their former quarterback, Russell Wilson, if they come in to Levi Stadium and find a way Find a way to somehow squeak one out and start out 2-0. Knocking down the 49ers to 0-2. You don't think on Monday morning, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch don't have a meeting and potentially ownership gets involved and the front office and the coaching staff all come together at 0-2. When you have one team 2-0, you have another team potentially 1-1 and you currently find yourself 0-2 falling behind early in the division. You don't think there might be a conversation where they go, maybe Trey's not the guy right now. Maybe potentially he's not the guy at all. But hey, we have a guy here right now, sitting on the bench, ready to go, wants to play, that we know for a fact we can win with. 
You don't think potentially at Tuesday at practice or Wednesday at practice, whenever they head into week three, that Jimmy Garoppolo potentially doesn't get first-team reps? I think at 0-2, that's a highly likely possibility. Two teams that I thought looked really good on Sunday as well were two teams in the AFC West. Two teams I thought need improvement, things I didn't like, and there was two teams in the AFC West that I thought, oh my God, these are going to be contenders and forces to be reckoned with. These are legit Super Bowl contending teams. The Chargers and the Chiefs looked phenomenal on Sunday. Patrick Mahomes, five touchdown passes. Justin Herbert, electric versus the Raiders. Mahomes is just fine without Tyreek Hill. Remember that chatter in the offseason about Tyreek Hill leaving the Chiefs and how the Chiefs were going to start to crumble and Patrick Mahomes wasn't going to be the same quarterback and how after all the offseason moves, the other three teams in the division were coming for the Chiefs? Didn't really get that impression on Sunday. Did not get that impression that the Raiders, the Broncos, are coming for the Chiefs. Mahomes, five touchdown passes over 300 passing yards. 44 points scored by the Chiefs' offense. The Chiefs are still going to be a dominant force. Patrick Mahomes is still the best quarterback in football in my mind. And when you go to LA and you look at the Chargers, what an exciting football team. That team plays with passion on both sides of the football. They got weapons all over the field and they are dominant on both sides of the football. If someone's going to knock off the Chiefs, it's going to be the Chargers. The Chargers are my pick to go to the Super Bowl this year, but I did have them as a wild card because I do have the Chiefs winning. Now the Chiefs and the Chargers are forces to be reckoned with. I think the Raiders are going to pull it together. I believe the Raiders have a good football team. I believe Derek Carr, who didn't play any time in the preseason, will get it going. I think he's going to be a good quarterback this year. He has weapons at his disposal, and I don't think he turns the ball over three times every game. He's going to limit the turnovers down the stretch, and the Raiders are going to get get going here soon with Josh McDaniels as their head coach, and the Raiders have a lot of good players on the defensive side of the ball. They're going to start winning football games, and they're going to start winning a lot of them soon. The team that worries me the most is the Denver Broncos. Russell Wilson is not a concern to me. Jerry Judy's not a concern for me. You know what? It's actually not even any player on the roster. So I thought the defense played pretty well the other night. They had a few hiccups, a few big plays they gave up that I'm sure they'd like to have back. But Russell Wilson threw over 300 passing yards, and I thought he had an electric game both with his arm and with his legs. And I think he's going to be an elite quarterback this year, and I think Denver's going to win games. My problem with Denver is the coach. Nathaniel Hackett, with a minute left the other day, had three timeouts. He let the clock wind down all the way to about 22, 23 seconds before calling his his first timeout, so making it two left. Fourth and five, he attempts a 64-yard field goal. And they miss, and the Seahawks defeat their former quarterback, Russell Wilson. Pete Carroll and the Seahawks, Geno Smith, baby. Walk off 1-0 and while the Denver Broncos fall to 0-1. If I'm the head coach of the Denver Broncos, if I have Russell Wilson as my quarterback, I mean this with all due respect towards Brandon McManus, who I think is a very good kicker in the NFL, one of the league's best. Within 50 yards, I have full faith, if I absolutely need to, that Brandon McManus could hit a game-winning or a go-ahead field goal or a game-tying field goal for me. This has nothing to do with Brandon McManus's talent as a kicker. This has everything to do with the situation. I would rather, with my $250 million quarterback, with the quarterback I just gave $250 million to, making his contract now seven years, $296 million. So let's call him my $296 million quarterback. 
My $296 million quarterback, a former Super Bowl champion, a future NFL Pro Football Hall of Famer. Russell Wilson is my quarterback. At fourth and five, I need five yards to extend the drive and to extend the game or potentially go down and win the game. I want the ball in my $296 million quarterback's hands. And if I'm a head coach in the National Football League, I will ride or die with that decision. I will sink or swim with the decision that I decided to go for a fourth and five with my Hall of Fame quarterback rather than attempt a 64-yard field goal down by a point. And I think that that's a decision down the road that if these things keep happening, a young head coach who is a first-year head coach who has never coached an NFL football game in his life, that's one quick way to lose a locker room. And if you lose your Hall of Fame quarterback and you use your core players, you're going to lose the whole room. And that's one way to have a very short NFL career. And I know that's a week one overreaction. But with the Chiefs, Chargers, and Raiders, three teams that everybody in football thinks are going to be very good down the stretch, the margin for error is very thin. And while you might think that's an overreaction in week one that I'm already talking about a potential coaching change for a first-year head coach, or I'm talking about a coach being on the hot seat after one NFL game, the margin for error is thin in the AFC West. And teams like Seattle, who we don't think are going to be very good, who people have predicted will have a top two or three pick in the NFL draft next year, these are games the Denver Broncos must win because they're not going to sweep the AFC West. I don't think anyone's going to sweep the AFC West. I don't think the Chiefs are going to win all all six games. I don't think the Chargers are going to win all six games. I don't think the Raiders are going to win all six games in the division. But if you can win those games against a team like Seattle, then losses against the Chargers or the Raiders or the Chiefs, one or two of them don't hurt so much because you've made up ground in other aspects of the season, in other parts of the season. And a loss to Seattle in week one, starting out 0-1 when the Chargers and the Chiefs hit the ground running from last year, just sting a little bit more. Let's shift to the Tennessee Titans. The only thing I want to talk about the Tennessee Titans is this. I talked about this all offseason, both on this microphone and just with the boys, ever since the NFL draft. I looked at the Tennessee Titans. I think they're a very good football team that could potentially go on a playoff run. Derrick Henry is a force to be reckoned with. Derrick Henry alone can change an NFL football season for you. He's that good of a running back. I think Mike Vrabel, Mike Vrabel is an exceptional head coach. I think they have a good defense. I think the Titans are a, re- a team that can really win a lot of games, especially in a division with the Houston Texans and the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I don't think the Colts are a juggernaut that they can't beat either. The thing I've been talking about all offseason is how large of a window does Ryan Tannehill have to lose games? If Ryan Tannehill can't win games with his arms or his legs or whatever the case may be, I wonder at what point midway through the season, Mike Vrabel finally says, I got to see what I have in this young quarterback, Malik Willis. Malik Willis reminds me a lot of a Russell Wilson type player. He's got a decent arm. He's a little creative with the ball. He can beat you with his arm and his legs. He can extend plays. He can escape trouble. A lot of things Ryan Tannehill can't do. 
And I think Ryan Tannehill is a decent quarterback. I just think he's very limited skill set wise. And I think if he gets under trouble, into trouble, or if the pocket starts to collapse under on him, or he starts feeling the pressure, I just think there's very limited things that Ryan Tannehill can do to climb out of that. And I think that's why you haven't seen the Tennessee Titans, aside from an AFC Championship appearance, do a whole lot in the playoffs. I think you saw that last year against the Bengals, and I think you saw that the year before against the Chiefs. I think you've just seen that a lot in the playoffs that unless Derrick Henry runs for 150, 200 yards in a game and scores two or three touchdowns, I think that's why the Tennessee Titans kind of hit a wall towards the end of the season. They go about as far as they possibly can, but it's not nearly far enough. And I wonder if over the course of the season, and I said this to Braden on our prediction show, I wonder if over the course of a season that Mike Vrabel decides to take a little bit of workload off Derrick Henry and says, I'm going to go to my young quarterback who can extend plays, escape trouble, make things happen with his arms and his legs, and I'm going to take some pressure off my, my running back who I desperately need in a postseason game. Keep in mind, Derrick Henry got injured last year, and I'm going to make that switch a quarterback, and the future is now for us, and we're going to try and make some noise here. I look at this situation with Ryan Tannehill and with Malik Willis, and I sort of see it very similar to how it played out in Baltimore just a few years ago with Joe Flacco and Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson was a late first-round pick. Malik Willis was a third-round pick. But I see the similarities as well with Malik Willis to Lamar Jackson. And I think Ryan Tannehill is similar to Joe Flacco. I think Joe Flacco was a better quarterback back then than Ryan Tannehill is now. But Joe Flacco couldn't escape trouble like Lamar Jackson could. He couldn't. He wasn't a dual-threat quarterback like Lamar Jackson was. And when Joe Flacco got a little banged up and hurt, you know, the Ravens went to Lamar and never looked back. I wonder if at some point in the season, if Tannehill's banged up, or if Tannehill's just not winning football games and he's not making things happen on the football field, maybe Mike Vrabel looks at that situation in Baltimore just a few years ago and says, I'm going to try and recreate some of that magic here in Tennessee just like they did in Baltimore. And with a loss to the Giants, no disrespect to the Giants, they played really well on Sunday. Congrats to Brian Dable on his first NFL win as a head coach. Saquon Barkley, hopefully he can stay healthy and play like that all season because that's good for football to have a player like him playing at that high of a level that we know he's capable of. But that's a game with the Tennessee Titans where if they're hoping to go on a playoff run and they're hoping to win their division, again, like the last segment... Games like the Giants are games you have to win. You lose to the Giants, you're not doing yourself any favors. And I wonder at some point, when is it Malik Willis time in Tennessee? To close out the week one part of this podcast, and then I'm going to predict the week two games before I close out here, I want to talk about the New England Patriots because I'm going to not lie to you. I had the boys over on Sunday, and you can ask any of my boys. I was not a happy camper on Sunday. Really was not happy with what I saw from the Patriots on Sunday afternoon in Miami at Hard Rock Stadium. I was not pleased with what I seen. Okay, the defense. Let's talk about the defense first. Because the defense was actually sort of a bright spot for me. I The, the New England Patriots defense gave up a lot of big plays. There were some plays where I was like, damn it, I would have loved the interception. Damn it, I would have loved the sack. You know... Obviously, you know, when a team gives up 20 points, you kind of take that as a win because the NFL, there's a lot of good quarterbacks. There's a lot of good receivers. The game's really fast right now. 
I thought that the New England Patriots defense played pretty well. I'll give them a B minus. And I think B minus in week one is not necessarily a bad thing. And when Bill Belichick's your head coach, the defensive genius that he is, I take a B minus week one. And I think over the course of the season, that will improve. And I think by mid-October, the Patriots defense will be playing at a high level and they'll be one of the 10 best defenses in the NFL. My problem on Sunday was on the offensive side of the ball. I'm just going to come out and say it. And call me crazy if you're a Patriots fan. There was nothing on offense that I liked. I didn't like the receiving core. There was no separation other than two or three plays. The offensive line is just embarrassing bad. And the running game didn't really generate a whole lot. And Mac Jones was not good. I understand Patriots fans love Mac Jones. I understand that he's the exciting young quarterback. He was the first Patriots first round pick at quarterback since Drew Bledsoe in 1993. I understand that he was labeled the next one after Tom Brady and he was supposed to take the Patriots back to the top. But reality's got to kick in at some point that he is what he is. He's a mediocre quarterback that can win football games. He's probably going to be no better than 13 to 18 in that range of top quarterbacks in the NFL. I think like 13th, 14th ranked quarterback in the NFL is his ceiling and I think his floor is about 18 to 20. And that's not going to win you a lot of playoff games and a lot of championships. And Matt Patricia and Joe Judge calling the offense, I do not love that. I do not love a former defensive coordinator and a, and a former head coach that was just an absolute disaster who took the Detroit Lions further to the basement than they already were. Made them an even bigger joke than they already were. I do not like those two coaching my young quarterback. I do not like those two calling offensive plays. And here's the biggest thing for me. Here's the thing that drives me nuts. As much as I love Bill Belichick as a head coach, and I think he's the greatest head coach of all time, Bill Belichick, the general manager, is not in my good books right now. And here's my problem with Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick used to get away with underpaying talent. He used to get away with underpaying a free agent. He used to get away with, you know, bringing a washed up player in. And all of a sudden, you know, he got credit because Randy Moss's career seemed like it was going for a shit in Oakland. And then he came to New England and Tom Brady threw 50 touchdown passes and 23 of them were to Randy Moss. And Randy Moss at the single season receiving touchdown record at 23. You know... Rob Gronkowski, no matter what injury he had, he'd always come back and hit the ground running. So many players came to New England after their career seemed to be falling for the shitter and Bill Belichick found a way to bring them up. And while I compliment him for doing that and he deserves all the recognition, it's not that simple anymore. And the reason being is you can't pay a receiver 2 or $3 million to come in when they have other offers for more money because you don't have that security blanket at quarterback anymore. You don't have a good offensive line. You don't have an elite quarterback. It was much easier, like now, it would be much easier to give Odell Beckham Jr. an incentive-based deal had Tom Brady still been your quarterback. But it's more attractive to that type of a player to go back to the Rams or to go to the Buccaneers or to go to the Packers or to go to the Bills or the Chiefs or the Chargers. If he has offers from those teams, 
there's nothing in New England that's going to convince him that he should go there over those other teams. And Bill Belichick, the GM, I think, has this old way of thinking that he his system works and that he can underpay for players and that he's not going to trade first-round picks for high talent because he'll just wait for that player to come to him. Well, in today's day and age, and with the current roster constructed in New England, that's not as easy as you may think it is. And I think until Bill Belichick changes his his general managing philosophy and realizes, I got to trade first-round picks to get a player like Devontae Adams. I might have to trade a first-round pick to move up in a draft to get a Josh Allen or a Patrick Mahomes-type quarterback. I'm going to have to pay a guy four, four years, 70 or $80 million to bring in a high-talent free agent. Because you don't have that security blanket anymore. A wide receiver would be willing to come play in New England for cheap because he knew he was going to pad his stats because he had a Hall of Fame quarterback and the GOAT quarterback in Tom Brady. Mac Jones ain't going to sell that for you, buddy. And as much as I love Bill Belichick, the coach, I'm worried about Bill Belichick, the GM, both this year and going forward. And what I saw on Sunday at Hard Rock Stadium was one team looked like they're going to be a legit wildcard threat this year in Miami. I thought Tua played a really good game. I thought Tyreek Hill was a huge difference maker for the Dolphins and a huge upgrade that they needed. I thought the Dolphins' defense played really well. Their offensive line seemed okay. And the Dolphins looked like a 10-7 and team that could compete for a wildcard spot. And on the other side of the ball, the Patriots looked like a 6-11 and team or a 5-12 and team that's going to have the 7th or 8th pick in the NFL draft this year. And if that's the case and I'm right, holy shit, January can't come fast enough as a Patriots fan. To close out the podcast, I would like to make my week two predictions. I'm going to predict every game week two. I'm not going to take up too much time. We got a Thursday nighter with the AFC West with the Chargers and the Chiefs. We got two Monday night football games this week, actually, which is interesting. But I would like to predict from Thursday on who I think are going to win the games. Let's start Thursday with the Chiefs and the Chargers. The Chargers are going to Arrowhead to face the Chiefs. The Chargers have actually had a lot of success at Arrowhead the last couple of years. I think they've won two of their last three meetings at Arrowhead. And Justin Herbert's played really well in all those games. But for some reason to me, I got 31-27 Chiefs. Chiefs start 2-0. Chargers go to 1-1. Both teams are going to be obviously contenders down the stretch. And I don't think this really right now has any effect on the standings in the AFC West long term. I still think the Chargers are going to have a chance to win this division. But I think in week 2 at Arrowhead at prime time Thursday night, that's going to be a loud spot to play. The fans are going to be electric. It's the home opener for the Chiefs. The Chargers are going to take the road to Arrowhead. I think the Chiefs win this one in a shootout. I'm going to go 31-27 Chiefs. Patriots-Steelers, if I were betting on FanDuel, I'd love to pick a tie for this one, 2017. I'm going to say the Steelers squeak this one out, and the Patriots fall to 0-2. As much as that pains me to say, I'm going with my head here, not my heart. My heart says 27-20 New England. My head says 20 to 17 for the Steelers. Carolina and New York. I'm going to go Carolina at MetLife. I think Carolina wins this game 30 to 21. Buccaneers and Saints. I'm going to go 24 20 Buccaneers. I think Tom Brady and the Buccaneers find a way to finally squeak one out against the Saints. Haven't had a lot of success in the regular season against the Saints. No more Sean Payton. 
And I know the Saints, you know, had a comeback victory over the Falcons the other day when they were down 26-10. to They won 27-26. You let the Buccaneers jump out to that early of a lead, you're not coming back from it. Buccaneers 24-20 is my final prediction. Jets at Browns. Still no Zach Wilson for the Jets. Don't love Joe Flacco. I know he threw over 300 yards, but 59 times against that defense, I don't think so. And the offensive line for the Jets is a little banged up, and you got Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney on the other side. I'm going to go Browns, 24 to 10. Dolphins at Ravens. I'm going to go Ravens. I'm going to go Ravens, 27 to 17. I think the Dolphins are going to score some points. I think their wide receivers will be effective. I just think Lamar Jackson. I I have some something's cooking with the Ravens this year with Lamar in a contract year. Commanders and Lions. I'm going to go Lions, 24 to 17. Colts at Jaguars. I'm going to say Colts win this one 24-21. Game-winning field goal in the last 10 seconds. Falcons at Rams. Rams 100, Falcons 0. I don't fucking know. The Rams are going to kill the Falcons. Nothing needs to be said about that. Seahawks at Niners. I think the Niners, I know I talked about Kyle Shanahan and Trey Lance earlier. I think that was sort of a fluke on Monday night with the with the Broncos and the Seahawks. I'm going to say 49ers win this one 20-10. Texans at Broncos. I'm going to say 31-14 for the Broncos. Cardinals at Raiders. I think the Raiders and Josh McDaniels and Derek Carr, I think they regrouped this week. A few turnovers. Not that not not ideal the other night against the Chargers. I'm going to go Raiders over Cardinals. Cardinals fall to 0-2. Raiders 28. Cardinals 17. Bengals at Cowboys. No Dak Prescott. That's a tough one for the Cowboys. I hope Dak has a speedy recovery. Cooper Rush just doesn't do it for me, even though the game's in Dallas. I'm going to go Bengals, especially after Joe Burrow threw four interceptions. He's not going to throw four interceptions again. I'm going to go Bengals 31, Cowboys 14. Bears at Packers, good for the Bears. Justin Fields played all right the other night, obviously not great. Um, Bears kind of squeaked out in like Seattle, another fluky one. I don't think that that result happens in a better weather and, you know, if that game was in San Francisco. Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, I think, have a regroup. I think they get back on track. I don't think Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur are going to fall to 0-2. I got Packers 27, Bears 17. Monday Night Football, Tennessee Titans at Bills. I didn't like what I saw from the Titans. I think the Bills find a way to limit Derrick Henry. I think Derrick Henry has a really good game. I think he rushes for at least 80 or 90 yards. But I just don't think Ryan Tannehill is going to outduel Josh Allen. I think that's going to be the huge difference. I'm going to go Bills 34, Titans 20. Vikings at Eagles. Ugh, this is interesting, actually. Justin Jefferson looks like the best receiver, maybe the best player in football week one. He was sensational. Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen and Dalvin Cook are a legit big three uh, for, for Kirk Cousins. I like what I saw from the Vikings. I also liked what I saw from the Eagles on offense. I thought the Eagles had a really good offensive game against the Lions. They scored 38 points. I'm going to go Minnesota 31, Eagles 24. Um, the big thing for me with the Eagles is I did not like what I saw from def- on defense from them the other night. I like their offense a lot. I think Jalen Hurts will have a good year. And I, I A.J. Brown was sensational in his Eagles debut last week. The question for me, if the Eagles are going to win this game, they got to be a lot better defensively. They gave up 34 points to the Lions, and now Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, and Dalvin Cook are coming to town. If the Eagles can tighten up defensively and play a better defensive game, maybe they can squeak one out. But from what I saw last week, I'm going to go 31-24, 
Vikings. Those are my week two predictions. <laughs>